Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, a couple of announcements. I'm doing a steel mace and clubs workshop at Martial Strength Training Academy in Branchburg, New Jersey on June 25th, where I will be featuring the infamous adjustable ADEX steel clubs and steel mace, uh, doing a one-hour fundraiser event for firefighters for freedom and it's $25 and you get to come get your hands on these steel clubs and maces see what they're all about and I have a very special one hour of good training that we could do with that stuff you're going to love it so if you want to go to it you could go to Marshall Strength Training Academy's website or you can go to my Instagram at Steel Mace Nation, click the link in the bio, and then you'll see right there, there's a button that says Steel Mace Workshop, and you click on that. Um, also, if you can't make that, there is a Steel Mace Workshop that you can do online. It's at steelmacenation.com. All you have to go to go, all you have to do, sorry, is go to steelmacenation.com and look under training and you'll see there's uh it's called the steel mace workshop uh click on that and then you get that program it'll cover everything you need to know about steel mace also uh if you're interested in the website there's t-shirts and hats there's a couple of workout programs there's also a membership site with follow-along workouts uh that's about it and we're gonna get to this podcast so Thanks for tuning in. Hey, what's up there, everybody? It's Fred, and this is the Steel Mace Nation podcast, and uh, thank you for coming back again for another episode if you're a frequent flyer and if this is your uh, new at this and this is your first episode then welcome aboard thanks for tuning in today I'm actually going to uh, do things slightly different I like to experiment with different ways of doing the podcast and today um, I'm going to start off the episode by uh, reading some health reports basically some some interesting things about health nutrition and and medicine and and um you know uh, studies that are done out there you know i like to look through things um that are uh new you know like what's what's going on in the field of medicine or field of health and fitness and i read studies and i read uh, write-ups and articles and stuff like that. Um, I like to, I like to, you know, eat stuff um, and try to go for more of a holistic approach. So, like today, I'm going to be covering something about chocolate and, you know, like just I, I'm interested in knowing how to be a healthier person uh, so I can do my job as a firefighter, so I could continue being in awesome shape as possible as I go and get a little bit older every day. And uh, I want to be able to beat the young guys still, you know, if I can. And um, I coach clients and I want to be able to give them the benefit of this knowledge too. I, I add val try to add value 
to uh, what my clients are spending in, co- in training with me. I don't just count reps. You know, I try to give them meaningful exercises. And while they're training, uh, if there's small talk going on, I like to keep them uh, zeroed in on what they're doing, their fitness, their workout. The small talk shouldn't be, and, and this is my opinion, but I'm sure you guys will agree with me, we don't want to talk about politics. We don't want to talk about things that take our mind out of our moment that we're in. We're focusing on building muscle and burning fat and becoming a stronger, healthier person. We don't want to be distracted. You know, even talking about um, our kids or somebody's grandkids may be a distraction from the moment. So I like to get people to focus on their health. So the small talk that I tend to do with them in between sets and everything like that, I, I talk to them about nutrition and diet and, and you know, uh, find out what they're struggling with at that time, you know, and make suggestions, small little changes here and there. Um, it definitely, I think, keeps them more fine-tuned to what they're doing. Um, and so I what I like to do is read about everything that's available out there and you know, pass that knowledge along to them because a lot of people just don't have time to go over this stuff. They're barely able to get five minutes to themselves sometimes. And the last thing they're going to do is jump on or on their phone or on their laptop and look up the, you know, the, the latest, greatest, interesting info on like say turmeric or fish oil or something like that. So I'm into that stuff. I'm going to read it anyway. So I'm thinking, okay, let me give this information to my clients. And I think this is also good for the podcast. And so today, you know, I'm going to read, I'm going to read, I'm going to be reading a lot and not looking at the camera a lot. The, after we do the fitness segment, I actually came across um, something that I wrote. Here's my note here. I don't know if it's, uh, here we go. So as you can see, I wrote something. On this, on this uh, white piece of paper, there's no lines. It's a lot of scribble, scrabble. I have no idea when I wrote this, um, but I read it like ten times already. And I said, you know what? I'm going to read this on the podcast. And what this is, I, I guess maybe I wrote this one night um, before I went to bed to maybe do a podcast with it. Maybe it was going to be a script. I really have no clue. It's like I blacked out and wrote something and have no idea where or when I did it. Um, But the subject on it is basically, um, you know, how to find ways to change yourself and being what's, what's a closed minded person versus an open minded person. And it's, it's literally one page. It's not going to take a long time to read. So I'm going to combine the, um, the health uh, tips and topics with that. So let's start off. We're going to jump right into, uh, I mentioned there's something about chocolate consumption being healthy. So I'm going to read that. And um, there's a couple other things here and uh, we'll keep this a short podcast otherwise. So Harvard and Alborg, which is in Denmark universities from Harvard and Alborg universities regular chocolate consumption 
may be linked to a lower risk of developing the heart rhythm irregularity, atrial fibrillation, also known as heart flutter. Finds research published online in the journal Heart. Uh, let's see, so it goes on to say the associations seem to be strongest for one weekly serving for women and between two and six weekly servings for men. There you go. Men get to eat more chocolate than women. Another benefit to being a man. All you ladies have to do is just change yourself into a man and you can eat more chocolate, right? Is That's what we learn nowadays. Um, so it's easy. You can have six servings if you make yourself into a man. The findings suggest... Uh, whoops, I'm really, <laughs> I'm not reading this very well. Okay, so they drew on 55,502 people, which would be 26,400 men and 29,100 women participants aged between 50 and 64 from the population-based Danish diet, cancer, and health study. Participants provided information on their usual weekly chocolate consumption with one serving classified as one ounce or 30 grams. But they were not asked to specify which type of chocolate they ate. Most chocolate eaten in Denmark, however, is milk chocolate, minimum 30% cocoa or cacao solids when the data were analyzed by sex the incident of atrial fibrillation was lower among women than among men irrespective of intake ooh okay so back what i said earlier it might be better for men to become women and eat chocolate because you'll get more benefit out of it according to this uh, i'm just thinking out loud right now um, but the association between higher chocolate intake and lower risk of heart flutter remained even after accounting for potentially influential factors. Well, there you go. So back to square one on, on my thought process there. I would, I would, I would rather eat six servings of chocolate a week. So I'm glad to be a guy. All right. So the, um, the strongest association for women seemed to be one weekly serving of chocolate, 21% lower risk, while for men it was two to six weekly servings, 23% lower risk. I like chocolate, so I'm good with that. All right, so let's move on to the next one, the next little health tip I got written down here. Uh, fruit and vegetable consumption and risk of lung cancer. This is from the Qingdao University in China. According to news reporting originating in Shandong, People's Republic of China, a meta-analysis was conducted to summarize evidence from prospective cohort studies about the association of fruit and vegetable consumption with the risk of lung cancer. A random effects model was used to combine study-specific relative risks and 95% confidence interval dose response relationship was assessed by restricting 
restricted cubic spline. I don't know what cubic spline is, but it sounds really scientific. The RR of uh, 95%, I'm not sure what that is. Lung cancer for highest versus lowest category of fruit and vegetable consumption was 0.87, including 12,942 cases among um, over a million subjects. Wow. Uh, actually, one, one and a half million subjects. And the effect was 0.84 for fruit, 16 studies, including 15,000. 421 cases among uh, one and three quarter million subjects and 0.9 for vegetable 19 studies, including 16,422 among 1.8 million. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to apologize right now. That one was kind of confusing, just the way it was written and the way I, <laughs> the way I spoke it. But hey, this is my first time reading a health report on the podcast. We can't expect it to just go perfect, can we? Um, but I don't know. When I read it prior to this, it seemed to flow a little bit easier. Maybe I'm just a little uh, uptight reading in front of people. You know, sometimes we get like that with our with our reading. All right, let's move on to the next one. Going for a 10-minute power walk every day could be the secret to a long life. Now, right out of the gate, uh, power walking is almost like you're running, except you're still walking. Um, your hips are moving really like hard side to side. It kind of looks funny. If you ask me, it's not it's not a natural movement pattern for a human, but um, I guess power walkers like to power walk because it's the fastest you could walk and they're avoiding running. And maybe they're avoiding running because running could be quite difficult for a lot of people. Um, but I, when I read something about walking, cause I've been, I've been taking walks lately and, you know, I, I just go for kind of like a casual walk. I mean, you know, I walk with with a um, determined goal to to get my heart rate up. So, but it's still a little on the casual side. I just like to you know listen to the birds chirp. So um, this is from the National Cancer Institute, and it says, uh, "Could a ten minute power walk every day?" Uh, I don't know what this thing is saying. Right? I, I'm so sorry. Here, let me try this again. Could a 10-minute power walk every day could add years to your life. Okay, so they they put a typo in it. They put a typo in it. And I'm, I didn't catch this when I read it. I'm a little tired today. I got excuses. All right, so could a 10-minute power walk every day add years to your life? A recent study of nearly 5,000 older adults found that deaths fell as, physically act, as physical activity increased. Just 10, 20, or 30-minute extra exercise a day per day reduced annual mortality rates by 7, 13, and 17% respectively. Oof, I'm, I am butchering this. The research is based on Americans aged 40 to 85 who wore accelerometers 
banged that one out. Accelerometers on their waist for a week. Volunteers were tracked for an average of 10 years. 10 years they track people. for That is astounding that they're going to track somebody for 10 years. During which time, 1,165 deaths occurred. The study shows that adding 10 minutes of physical activity each day resulted in, in an estimated 111,000 preventable deaths per year. Not surprisingly, the more physical activity, the more deaths prevented. The number almost doubled and tripled to 209,000 and 367,000, respectively, for 20 and 30 minutes. So instead of 10 minutes, go to 20 minutes. Instead of 20 minutes, go to 30 minutes. And I, I you know, I, I've always done, like, if I've ever done those workout programs where you're doing cardio three times a week, I'm doing 20, 30, 40 minute rounds of cardio because you want your heart rate to be in the zone, you know, the, the cardio zone for a certain amount of time to get the most benefit. Uh, it ends with similar results were observed for men and women, including those of all ethnic backgrounds. We know that walking is one of the best exercises you could possibly do. We don't do it enough, like we don't stretch enough. So, you know, I would say, uh, I'm sure there's, um, a good study on stretching. I should look that up and, and bring that onto the podcast. But I'm sure if you did uh, 10 minutes of stretching, 20 to 30 minutes of, of brisk walking, and then another 10 minutes of stretching, um, and you try to do that every day, your health would dramatically increase. You know, you're not going to build crazy muscle or nothing like that, but, you know, you're going to add longevity to your life. You're just going to feel better all around. Um, you know, it's, it's worth it to do. Uh, we, you know, if we're in the fitness, uh, for those of us in the fitness world, we're, we might be doing a lot already. So maybe you don't need 20 to 30 minutes of, of a brisk walk, but you know, 10 minutes then, um, and then, and then of course get your stretching. Yeah. All right. The last health tip or, um, the next one we're going to do here, and then we're going to move on to my little article I wrote. Uh, whey protein imp improves. Oof. I am, my lips are just smacking around and I'm making all kinds of noises. Let's try this again. Whey protein improves blood glucose in diabetics. Whey protein. Hmm. Newcastle University. So a study reported in BMJ Open Diabetes Research and Care resulted in improved glucose control among people with type 2 diabetes who consumed whey protein. The crossover study included 18 type 2 diabetic men and women who received a drink that contained 15 grams of whey protein or a protein-depleted placebo to be consumed 10 minutes before breakfast, lunch, and dinner for seven days. Let's pause. So it's saying they gave some people the protein drink, and then the other people got a protein-depleted placebo. 
They didn't know what they were drinking. Nobody knows, knows what they're drinking. I don't know if this is um, also a double-blind study. Double-blind would mean that the people providing the protein drink, drinks, um, the hosts, the, the doctors, the research, the, the lab technicians, double-blind means nobody knows if they're getting the placebo or not. And that's the best way to do a study. Now, if in this one, the researchers knew who was getting the protein shakes and who wasn't, uh, then this study wouldn't be as good. And you think it's not a big deal, but it is. Uh, subconsciously, we do things and we don't even know that we're doing them. Now, me, I might be a researcher and I have people I have to give these protein drinks out. I might say subconsciously, give the protein drinks to certain people based on how they look like maybe the the meathead muscle bodybuilder guy i'm gonna i'm gonna purposely give him the depleted one because you know i'm thinking well i want to see what what happens to a guy you know i'm not well i'm not really thinking anything it's subliminal but like my sublim my subconscious mind is thinking it it's thinking what you know, what it's going to happen to this guy if we give him a depleted drink. Uh, I'm just trying to give an example. And this is this is important in all fields of research. This is one of the criticisms about the current um, that I don't want to say the word because I don't want to get censored, but they're currently giving out an injection for a virus. And it's new, brand new technology that there's no long-term data on it. And if you look at the flimsy amount of research that they did, they didn't do a placebo-controlled double-blind study. Uh, in fact, the, what they did do, it looks terrible. It looks like a very poorly put-together piece of research. And then they're banking all of their health and safety data on this garbage research. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I invite you to, to research it yourself, look it up. Um, all of the pharmaceutical companies' um, documents have been released, 55,000 pages. People are you know, currently combing through it like they're um, volunteer research groups that are, you know, they're double checking all the research data and they're finding all these terrible research problems and things like that. Uh, you should really check it out and, you know, look at it before you administer that, that injection to you or anybody in your family. Uh, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, look at this side of the, the coin here. You may not, you may, you, you may be very surprised by what they're finding. And of course the, the company making the product is not going to tell you all this because they have so much money wrapped up into it. They, you know, they're, they're, they're getting rich right now. Um, all right. So that's enough of that. Let's jump back into this. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. This, they were followed by a two week. Uh, I'm sorry. They, they were given the, the drinks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for seven days. This was followed by a two week period during which no treatments were given. Participants who had previously received whey were then given a placebo, and those who received the placebo were given whey. Okay, so that answers our question. 
uh, they did know um, who they were giving it to, but they were they did it purpose on purpose because they're looking for a certain um, set of data, and they had to know who was getting what. They were given the placebo, given way for an additional seven days. Continuous glucose monitoring revealed improved daily blood glucose levels in association with whey intake. Participants experienced an increase of two hours per day of normal glucose during the week in which whey was consumed. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. In comparison with the week in which the placebo was administered. All right, that's some really interesting stuff right there. Um, I assure you, I did briefly read through all this stuff. And then when I presented it just now, it was like I was reading it for the first time. Um, uh, and like I said, I already gave you my excuses. I'm tired and, and I'm scared of reading in front of people and all that stuff. So um, you're going to have to just forgive me on that. And uh, so let's let's get to this uh, thing that I wrote about changing your mind or uh, changing your habits, you know, um, closed-minded thing versus the open-minded. And um, I'm going to just read right through it. Here we go. So changing yourself, your habits, your perceptions requires changing your identity. This means you have to keep an open mind. When you have an open mind to all ideas, things, places, and people, you can then receive more input. Um, just to pause right there and just go over what I just read. You know, when you're closed-minded, it's like you have shields up. And when you're open-minded, it's like you become a giant casting net you ever see those nets that they that fishermen would use and they cast it overboard and he just scoops up a whole bunch of fish a different variety of fish uh even picks up things off the ocean floor you know shrimp and and barnacles and and lobsters and then there's tuna fish and red fish and blue fish and all these different things that's that's you when you have an open mind you're just scooping up all this different fish. When you're closed-minded, you you have barriers up. You're only stuck in what you believe. And any new input that comes to you, it's like ping pong balls bouncing off of the shield, right? Like you got these shields up and the ping pong ball comes in and goes bing, and it just gets sent off into oblivion and nothing is getting in. So when you have an open mind, it's open to anything. And you're, you're in a state where as input comes in, you welcome it. You're welcoming new information all the time. It's like you're hungry for this information. All right, back to the essay. The closed mind only knows what it knows. This is kind of obvious, yes. But what's less obvious about the closed mind and most dangerous about the closed mind is its beliefs. An open mind may carry many beliefs. A closed mind, too, may carry many beliefs as well. 
The difference is that an open mind is willing to continually test those beliefs over and over again. Um, never being, never being at a point where you're done learning. That's what that is. They say, you know, if, if you're ever stop wanting to learn, then you just stop growing as a person, always forever the student, right? So as a student, you're not only bringing in new information all the time and seeing how it can be assimilated into your framework, but you're also taking the old information that you took in the year before or two years before or 10 years before, and you're retesting it frequently. Often you're retesting this information against the new stuff coming in. Um, this just makes sense. It's like it's like uh, everything in life that we do. We get new information. That's what humans are. We have these eyeballs, these ears. Um, we could sense with you know our touch, our smell. New information is always coming in, and it's updating us to our current environment because things don't stay the same. Things change, and our current environment can be changing. So the old information may not be relevant to our current environment or whatever it is that's going on. So we need to retest it to see if it still um, makes sense to, to have it. Otherwise, the new information comes in that seems to work well with our current environment and it kicks out the old information and we forget about it. Your brain, like a, like a laptop computer, deletes that unnecessary information and the new stuff comes in and takes its place. But anything that um, is old info that still applies, that's still applicable, will remain. So we test our beliefs over and over again. This allows a person to hold opposing thoughts within their mind. And the thing about opposing thoughts, they could be uh, tough for some people to have opposing thoughts. You know, opposing thoughts is a sign of higher intelligence. So if you find that you're a person that holds a lot of opposing thoughts and you're kind of cool with it and you just say, okay, it is what it is, that's that's a great sign that you are an intelligent person. You're uh, actually able to hold two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time without having a short circuit. There are people that can't do that, okay? When they have a thought, a belief, and new information comes in, it doesn't, they can't sit with it. And if they can't sit with it, they just reject it right away. That's being closed-minded. Open-minded people will take the new information in, hold the old information, and they'll play around with it for a while. They won't make a determination right away. They'll start seeing which seems to have better legs, what, what seems to work better here. And then they'll start going through what I just said earlier. They'll start testing. So, you know, and what we're talking about, too, is a dichotomy, basically, okay? And um, you could, if you're a person that can hold two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time, then you can feel confident and content with the dichotomy. The closed-minded person 
will have their beliefs, but be unwilling to test their belief, unwilling to accept all new beliefs over their old belief. Open-mindedness is fluid, dynamic, adapt adaptable, flexible, like the body of a trained athlete or a warrior. Closed-mindedness is rigid, unwilling to accept new information, new people, and new ideas. Open-mindedness is an important tool for our species. It allows us to take information and create new possibilities. This gives us the ability to adapt and to overcome, and we can learn and grow. So there you go. That's, that's what I wrote. Um, I almost read through it perfectly, and then I butchered it a little bit there. Whew. It's uh, pretty tough trying to, to read, I notice. <laughs> but hey, you know what? I've been reading for a very long time. I like to read books. I like to um, basically explore new information. So that's why I wrote that. And I, and I wrote that, um, like I said, at some point in my life, probably a few months ago or a year ago. And it's just been sitting around in my bag and <laughs> I pulled it out and I still, you know, I read it and I said, oh, I, I still agree with this. So I, I, that's another good thing. You write something, you put it away and then you, you come across it later and you read it. If it still makes sense, then it's probably okay to put it out there uh, on YouTube or whatever. Um, sometimes we get caught up with what we're writing. We think it's great or, you know, or any of our ideas, we think it's great. We get a little emotional. And then we want to put it out right away spontaneously. And sometimes it's not that good. Um, but, you know, the idea of collecting your thoughts on a piece of paper and then going over it again kind of just gives you uh, a sense of connectedness to your past. And you, you know you're still tracking in the same, in the same way. So that's it, guys. I just wanted to uh, cover that with you. And I hope that, you know, you enjoyed that little piece. If you have any questions or want to make any comments, you know, feel free to do so down below. And uh, we'll get into that little chit chat that comes from that. Otherwise, thanks for checking out the podcast again and come back for the next episode. We'll see you later.